I hope you're doing well. My name is Tony Trayback. I have the privilege of being here on staff at Wellspring. Uh, every so often, about once a quarter, we gather as a larger family. So what we're going to do today is we're going to take a little bit of a break from our study in 1 Corinthians to recognize that Sunday morning worship is not just an adult experience. We're going to take a moment. We're going to there's a quote, uh, Psalm 145, 4. It says, one generation shall commend your works to another. Right? That there's been, throughout the history of the church and even among the Hebrew people, there was this sense that, you know, adults and children would gather together and they would all come to worship God. So every so often, we do this at Wellspring as a way of just saying, hey, you know, this isn't just an adult thing. Following Jesus isn't an adult thing. Right? But kids... You're welcome here. This is your space. And one of the ways that we do that on a Sunday morning is we'll have worship, we'll have a little teaching, but we also create a little space for a teaching that is specifically designed for the kids in this space, but is actually awesome for us as adults too. So don't check out adults because Jeannie, my wife, who's also in charge of the preschool, is going to tell a story for us. I want to invite her up. And my experience is... I am almost always like learn, I mean, I certainly learn more from her teaching than mine, but uh, she is just awesome. So I invite you just to listen to her uh, and kids. Uh, why don't you guys come up and you can come up onto the, the stairs over here and Miss Jeannie will lead and guide you. Good morning, everybody. So if you are a small person and are looking to have a view, you definitely want to come forward. If you are tall enough that you can see, you're welcome to stay with your parents. And parents, you know your children. So if they're really wiggly, I encourage you to come with them just because it is so distracting to be hearing a story in such a public place. Otherwise, you guys are, man, you're so well-trained already. You know exactly where to go. So I'm going to sit here and we'll see how we're going to set everybody up. Let's see. And I think it'll help if we sit all the way down on our backsides, so that way the people behind us can see. So you want to sit all the way down. And then, Claire, if you can scoot a little bit farther back, so that way those two over there. Can you sit next to Shawnee? Or Sean, excuse me. Hi. All right, let's see. Sienna, you might want to come a little bit closer. I don't think you'll be able to see all that way by the video machine. There we go. Yeah, you can sit right there. Okay. Almost, sorry, it takes us a few minutes to get established. I see you're coming front and center. Are you ready for that? I think you might be squished under there. Let's come on out. Of course, he's mine, so it's real easy. Why don't you go sit next to Claire? Okay, you're gonna stay there. Exactly, right? On stage in front of everyone. So. Well, I think we are just about ready to begin. So one of the ways that we get ready on Sunday morning in our classroom, right, is we check our hands, make sure there's nothing in them. This, of course, applies to adults as well as grown-ups, cell phones, all those things need to be put away. Um, we also check where we're sitting. Are we comfortable? Are we too close? If we're too squishy, we probably need to find a little bit more room. I would like you to sit all the way up. All the way up, thanks. And you can go sit right there. You'll see better next to Shawnee. There you go. There you go. Backup support. Okay. Anyways, so one of the things that helps me is just to take a little breath. <sighs> Whoa. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that was funny. I didn't expect that. I won't do that again. Well, let's go ahead and get begin. Now this 
is our story for this morning. And some of you might recognize the box, but remember, this is the part of the morning where I'm going to do most of the talking, and then you'll know when I'm asking for your, your thoughts, your input, okay? So right now, we're just going to look at this box. It's gold. I mean, gold usually means something valuable is inside. It looks old. Maybe it's old and valuable, but you know what? It's shaped like a present, and it has a lid, which makes me think that maybe there's a present inside. Did you know that parables are presents? They are presents that were given to you before you were born. They were given to you even when you didn't know that they existed. And did you know that parables like this box have a lid? And that sometimes when you open them, you don't always know or understand what's inside. I think we should open it and see what's inside. Let's see, here's something that's to help us get ready. What is this? A big Band-Aid, oh my gosh. No, I don't think I want to eat this. It's not a sausage. What do you think? A scarf. Yeah. Oh, it feels warm. I'm a little chilly in here. What do you think? What else? A blanket. It might be a little small for me. Maybe a blanket for you. Any other thoughts? Sand. Some people that people wear. Cloth, sure. I don't know. A sash, perhaps? Well, it's brown. And everywhere there is anything, there's always brown. You can kind of count on that. Well, there's nothing left in the box now, except the pieces that will help me tell the story. But I can't begin the story until we're ready. So one of the ways that we're going to get ready this morning is we're going to put our hand on our heart. And we're going to close our eyes. Grown-ups, you can do that too. And we're going to say, God, open our hearts. Help us to be ready. Well, there was once a man who was so incredible, and he said such amazing things that people followed him. They followed him over lakes, they followed him for miles. They went wherever he went, and he talked about a kingdom that was unlike any other kingdom that they had ever heard about. And this kingdom, he called the kingdom of heaven. And one day, they just, they just had to ask him, what is this kingdom of heaven like? And he looked at them, and he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a sower. It's like someone who scatters seed upon the ground. And as they scatter the seed, the birds of the air come 
and they eat it right up. The sower then sows seed. on the rocky soil. And the seed tried to grow, but the rocky soil was so tough, the roots would not go in. So the plants would start to grow, but as soon as that bright sun came out, it scorched the seeds and they died. The sower continued to sow seeds among the thorny soil. And this time when the seeds would try and grow, the thorns would choke them. And they couldn't breathe. They couldn't get the nutrients they needed. And so all of those seeds died. Then the sower sowed the seed among the good earth. And this time, when the seeds put their roots into that soil, it went deep, all the way deep into the ground. And the seeds grew and got taller and taller. And it reaped a harvest of 30 and 60 and 100 bushels. Now, I wonder, do you think that this sower had a name. If you think he has a name, show me a thumb and then I'll call on you. Yeah, what do you think his name was? You're welcome to pass if you change your mind. Okay, what about you? Maybe his name was Bob. Maybe his name was Bob. <laughs> what do you think? Harold. That could be an option. Lucy. You think his name was Jesus? Any other names we're forgetting? Yeah. Jeff. Jeff. Mm-hmm. You never know. Now I wonder. I wonder what. I wonder what the sower was using for seed. What type of a harvest was he trying to grow? What do you think? I hear a little. Beep, beep, beep. Show me a thumb, and then I know to call on you. Okay, yeah, Daniel. Trees. Is that what you said? Trees. Oh, that would be a jumbo harvest. He was a logger. Lots of wood. Okay, Gabriel. Uh, well, it's in a harvest, so probably like bait, like, like anything like edible. Anything edible. Like broccoli? Harvest you could eat, perhaps. You're hungry, I can tell. We don't get snack in church. We'll have to wait all the way until the end for junk food hour. All right, yes. 
grain. Now there's an interesting idea. When you say grain, that can mean wheat or barley or something that they use to make bread. You must have an agricultural background in you somewhere. Okay, Josiah, what do you think? Daisies. <laughs> Flowers. They would make a lovely harvest. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Carter? You want me to come back to grass? Yeah, grass, why not? Animals need to eat too. Sometimes they cut grass and they call it hay. Well, I wonder if the sower was happy about how his harvest came out. Yeah, what do you think? He was. You think so? Yeah, maybe. Maybe not this time or this time, but maybe this time. Okay. What about the birds? Do you think he was happy? No. No? Yeah. They didn't even get to see anything. What about you? You think those are pants? It's actually a skirt. I know. We could have a whole lesson on the way people dressed that they don't dress like this anymore. I don't think your dad wears these, but in the desert... I know, we, we might fully digress, but I might call it before we talk about, please, parents, teach your children about what you would wear in the desert and why. <laughs> yes, last comment, Mr. Gabriel. Very, 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 very mad. You think he's very mad? Right. It's a very. He's talking about the. Absolutely. He threw seeds. They got eaten. He threw. You're telling the whole story. You want to stand up here? I'll give you the mic. Yes. Yes. You think so? Even by the end, he still holds the residual emotion of having lost so many seeds. You know, this thing about this story that continues to intrigue me is that. Why in the world did he keep trying it on all those different soil types, right? Why just throw your seeds on the ground in all these different places? Now, that's one you're going to have to put in your mind, point to your mind, point to your heart. You have to think about, because here's our sower. Here's the harvest. Here's the good earth the thorny soil, the rocky soil. Here are those hungry little birds. And here is the beginning of our story. Now, you guys are gonna return back to where you were sitting and you have some awesome coloring packets to help you stay engaged while Tony talks and talks and talks and talks and talks some more. <laughs> Isn't Jeannie awesome at that? Uh, who, here, who here is a gardener? Who like, is it not even necessarily professional, but a backyard or front yard gardener? Yeah. So I, I ran a community garden for a few years when I was in San Jose. And one of the things I learned really quickly is that uh, there are just rocks in the soil. And actually for rocks to get out of the soil, you actually have to remove them. And if you're not attentive as a gardener, Thorns and weeds grow up really fast. 
And if you want to make good soil, it actually requires a fair amount of work and attention. Which is tricky, right? Because in our world, when we think about sort of having a harvest, a spiritual transformative harvest of 30, 60, and 100 fold, what that means is that we actually have to give a fair amount of attention to cultivating that kind of soil. But we live in a cultural moment where our attention is not always focused on God. I read an article uh, in a UK newspaper called The Guardian. And in this paper, it sort of talked about how, how much we are interrupted in modern life. It said this, on average, the average person, every eight minutes is interrupted by something. Now, if you're a parent of like a toddler, you're like, eight minutes? What I wouldn't do with eight minutes, right? <laughs> but for most of us, we think eight minutes, like, that's not very long. And then usually most interruptions take about five minutes to bring to completion. And this is the worst part. It actually takes 15 minutes to get back to the level of concentration you had when you were first interrupted. Which means that you're basically primed for your next interruption as soon as you are ready to start and concentrate again. This is modern life. Emails, phones, all kinds of things throughout the workday and in home. We are constantly interrupted. The thing is, right, this doesn't just undermine productivity. It actually affects our brain's ability to concentrate, to give attention. We'll do a quick survey. So raise your hand if you think the modern American attention span is 10 minutes or more. Okay, I got a couple votes in the back. Five minutes or more. Okay? You guys are optimistic? One minute or more. Okay? Ten seconds or more. <laughs> All kinds of surveys say that the modern attention span of the average adult in the United States is eight seconds. This means a few things. For one, this means, so our family got fish for my daughter, a little aquarium and some fish uh, for Christmas. And we thought we were getting her pets. But I realized recently we didn't just get her pets because the average attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds. So that means we bought her and our entire family mentors. <laughs> Not only are we interrupted, but our attention span is so short that we can't focus. Now this creates all kinds of problems in the spiritual life. So imagine you come into church, like today, you feel stuck in your life, you feel stuck in patterns, you feel like you want to connect to God, but you're having a hard time doing it. So you hear an awesome message on the parable of the sower, you're like, I am going to do something different. You go home, you wake up at 4 a.m. the next day, you're rocking it, three days later, you have given up. Who has done that before? Just me? Okay, good. Thank you. At least you guys are honest. Right? Because our attention span, we're not able to attend. We're interrupted so much. The busyness and distractions of modern life make it really hard to cultivate good soil, which what? Requires attention. We want to have these productive lives where God sows his word into us and we experience 30, 60, and 100 fold harvests. But often it's not that, it's not that easy There's a lot of reasons that our habit cultivation is undermined. 
One, I think, is simply that we're trying to add more into an already busy, distracted, and overwhelming life. So we wake up, we think, I'm going to change something. So we just try and add more onto our overflowing plates. Two, we set resolutions that are like these forever commitments that feel exhausting, right? So you wake up at 4 a.m., you do it for three days, and you're like, I have to do this forever? And we feel psychologically and emotionally drained by that. Just the prospect of like, I have to do this forever. There's no end goal. Three, almost always you try and do it alone. Right? Almost always, right? You wake up, you feel convicted, you feel like you want to make a change internal to you. So then you say, I am going to make a resolution because you don't want to bother your friends with your lack of motivation and the general lameness of your spiritual life, right? So you don't want to be like, help me. And we try and do it alone. But if this is our experience in modern life, then how do we actually connect to God? Right? If we're more aware of the thorns and the thistles, we're more aware of the rocks in the ground, and we really want to have this robust harvest, 30, 60, 100 fold, how do we do it? Usually what we do is we say, all right, me as the individual, I feel like I need to make a change. And then we try and rock it ourselves. But it's interesting. I want to kind of approach this in a different way. You know, throughout church history, and even back into uh, the Hebrew people, right, before the church was formed, they actually did it a little different. Certainly they had the individual responses, but they had yearly communal rhythms. So they didn't have to do it alone. They got to do it together. It was actually for a limited time period. So they could make a push, but they didn't have to like rock it forever. And it wasn't often just about adding more into the spiritual life doing more things, but actually removing some stuff. There are three seasons in particular that have been highlighted throughout church history. One is the time period leading up to Christmas, called Advent. Another one is the time period leading up to Easter, called Lent. And then there's a third one that I think many of us are less familiar with. It's the time period from Easter to this time called Pentecost, when God sent the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. And there's a season there that Christians have been looking at for a long time to guide their spiritual life. Interestingly, each of these seasons are about 40 days. Now, if you look at studies, how long does it take to create a, a habit, to change a practice, right? 30 to 40 days. You know what's interesting? All of these seasons are communal. They're not meant to, for you and I to pick and choose like, mm, I'll do Easter in July, right? These are set in the yearly calendar so that we can do it together, there's actually all kinds of studies. There's a study out of New England where uh, they grabbed all these students from medical school and they had one group exercise together and they had another group and they had all those individuals exercise separately or alone. What they found is this. Stress went down for the group that exercised together. Their mental, spiritual, and relational health went up. What's the basic idea? And more than those who exercised alone. The basic idea is this. When we do things together, we actually yield better results. Now, you might be wondering, all right, Tony, like, that's a lot of prequel. Like, where are we going? Well, this is the first Sunday in that season in spring called Lent. This is the season when we are trying to prepare ourselves as a body, not simply as individuals, for, right, Good Friday, for Easter, and this isn't something that just bored Christians in the Middle Ages made up because they were looking for things to do, right? 
In the second century, Irenaeus of Lyons is writing about this. In the Council of Nicaea in 325, this is a regular practice of the church. So what I want to do today is I want us to kind of as a community, as a body, lean into what it might look like for us to practice Lent, to lean into this season together. There's two primary hallmarks of this season called Lent. Prayer and fasting. And I want us to lean into, okay, what, what might prayer and fasting, fasting and prayer, what might that look like in our everyday life as we lead up to Easter? I want to talk specifically, or for a second, I just want us to lean into, if you were to summarize Jesus's, all of his teaching into one sort of pithy statement, what would it be? Do you have any? Shout it out if you have an idea. Okay, love your neighbor. Yeah, so ethics. It's great. What else? Josiah, you have one? What is it? Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Okay, it's good. Anything else? Love the downtrodden. Okay, it's good. Kind of like love your neighbor-ish. Good Samaritan. It's great. You know, most scholars, when they sort of look at this question and they analyze what does Jesus talk about, they will say this. The one phrase that Jesus says in all the Gospels at the very beginning of his ministry is this. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Right? And that's what Lent ultimately is all about. Right? Repentance is about not like sort of scold yourself and wear an uncomfortable hair shirt or something. Right? Repentance is about hey, our lives get distracted. We get busy. We get off course. Repentance is about making space to realign with God, realign with his kingdom. Martin Luther said this, when our Lord and master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. I think too often we think like repentance is something we did at one time and then we're good. Repentance is fundamentally, though, more like course correction, right? You know, when you do like a Google map or something and you get off course, it's like rerouting, rerouting. That's repentance. Getting back on course, aligning our heart and our life more and more with Jesus and his kingdom, right? So we can experience 30, 60, and 100 fold harvest. I want to look quickly just at this idea of fasting and repentance, or fasting and prayer and how it relates to us. First, fasting. All right, so intermittent fasting is like all the rage these days. Like who here has tried some version of modern fasting? Yeah, there you go. There's a lot of us, right? There's all kinds of research that fasting, particularly of food, actually has all kinds of brain effects, mood effects, preventing Alzheimer's, all kinds of things. Biblically, fasting though is about creating space, It's about creating an absence in your life for the presence of God. That's why if you go to the Old and New Testaments, fasting and prayer are almost always said together. Because you make space, you remove something in order to make space for the presence of God. This is why fasting is actually so important in our historical moment. Because we are all so distracted. We are all so busy We are all so overwhelmed by all the things. Fasting is a way of saying, hey, hey, actually the point is not to just add a bunch of things in an already full schedule. The point is actually about taking away. It's about saying no. It's about creating a stop doing list. 
in order to make space for God. And when we all do this, right, as a body, when we all commit to it, even in small ways, then we don't have to do it alone. We don't have to do it alone. One of the things we often do, right, in modern life is we say, you come to a sermon, you come into a season of prayer like Advent or Lent or Pentecost, and you think, meh, I'm just not that into it. Right? Because our entire way that we view spiritual formation is based on our internal sort of feeling and perception. It's highly individualized and it's highly reactive. So if you're now in a bad spot, you think, oh, I need to change things around. One of the helpfulnesses about a yearly calendar is it's not about our own feelings and it's not about whether or not our spiritual life is great or poor in the moment, but all of us recognizing that at any moment, all of us could draw closer to God. Whether we're addicted or in patterns of freedom, whether we are stuck or rocking it, regardless of how we enter the room, all of us can move closer to the person of Jesus. So what does that look like to do together? Right, so that for those of us who are struggling, we don't feel like we have to do it alone because we're all doing it. Even if we all fast in different ways, we can all be on, a, on sort of the same boat going to the same destination. So what does, that, what does that look like? Has anyone here ever fasted from food? Yeah, a few of us. Has anyone ever fasted from technology? A couple people. What about seasons of like taking time where you fasted or created boundaries on work? Yeah, we can fast from all kinds of things. For instance, I think one of the things I'm going to really commit to is creating a space. I'm going to fast from starting my entertainment on a screen at night earlier. So I'm going to take, let's say, I don't know, I haven't worked out the exact details, but from the time my kids go to bed, rather than starting some sort of screen entertainment, what if I took 60 or 90 minutes out of my entertainment time and now dedicated that to prayer, to worship? to reading the scriptures, to reading a book that's helping me learn more about Jesus and his kingdom. Now you'll notice a few things about this. It is very specific and it's very measurable. So I can say on a daily basis, whether I did that or not, I would encourage you as you consider what does it look like to fast? Because I'm going to invite all of us to fast from something, even if it's small. What is something you can fast from that is specific and measurable? So you could say on a daily basis, yeah, I didn't do it. Or yeah, I did. Not to beat yourself up, but so you know. Think about it for a second. What is one thing, not that you could add to your life, but something you could remove to make space for the presence of God? Can you think of something? It could be little, it could be big. I'm going to take... I'm going to give you 30 seconds. I want you to turn to someone next to you and give the, no commitments. We're not committing in this moment. I just want you to verbalize one thing to someone sitting around you that you could maybe consider fasting from if it felt like a good idea that you're not committing to. Zero commitments. You're just going to verbalize one or two things you could potentially fast from. Ready? Go.
Okay, switch, switch. I know, I told you it was quick, man. You guys gotta be on your toes. Switch. All right, did everyone get to verbalize something? Just say it out loud. Saying it out loud is gonna be really important. All kinds of studies talk about this. You don't wanna just be passive. If you say something, you are way more likely to do it or try something. All right, fasting. I would invite all of us, fast from something as a way to make space for the presence of God as we approach Good Friday and Easter. Second, I wanna talk about prayer. Fasting and prayer. Now, one of the things that's important about this season is it's not just about us. It's not just about like, hey, I wanna manicure my soil so that I experience 30, 60, and 100 fold, right? Jesus didn't just die on a cross and be raised from the dead so the 12 people he hung out the most with could experience abundant life. He died on a cross and was resurrected from the dead, not just so him, but the entire world could experience the abundant life, this unreal harvest that he promised. So one of the things we're gonna do during the season is not just pray for ourselves, not just fast so that we can have awesome, good soil that is productive, but we're also gonna create some space to pray for people that aren't experiencing much of Jesus these days. And you get to choose who that is. But just a quick survey. Who here, in the craziness and busyness on your worst day, doesn't have 30 to 45 seconds to, to pray for someone you already care about? Anyone? Okay, good. So we're all committed. All right. All I am asking for is 30 to 45 seconds every single day between now and Good Friday to pray for, pray for people you already care about. You should have, when you came in, you should have been given a little card that said pray for five. Did everyone get one of those? No? <laughs> if you didn't, there's plenty out there and there. We can bring them in in a minute. But what I want you to do is this. I want you to think in this moment of five people that are not experiencing much of Jesus these days. You can put yourself first on that list. That's fine. People that are not experiencing much of Jesus these days that are local. Someone you could actually run into. This could be a coworker. Could be someone on your block. Could be someone in your family. I just want you to write their names, five people on there. If you can't think of them, take some time this week. Think of five people. I don't care if you're in middle school. I don't care if you're in elementary school. Everyone can do this. Five people. Now, we're not going to be able to sort of go through this whole exercise right now, but this is what I want you to do. Think of five people. I want you to set a daily alarm. Why don't we use technology for our benefit rather than it just always undermining us? A daily alarm. I set mine at 8 a.m. I think 8 a.m. is a decent spot. You gotta pick your spot and you can change it each day. A daily alarm. This is what I want you to do. You have your five people. This takes 30 to 45 seconds. 
Your alarm goes off. You have your little pray for five bookmark or you take a picture of it. So it's on your phone. You just swipe to that picture. You start with a breath. You say something like, come Lord Jesus. God help me. God be with me. Pick your simple short phrase that resonates with you. Then you say a name. You say the first name on that list because you already know this person. You already have a lot of care for this person. All you're going to do is say their name as a way of saying, God, I put this person before you and I invite you to move in their life. But you don't need to say all that. Just say their name. God knows what you want. Then take a breath. One breath, a deep, nice breath. Say the second name. Repeat until the end. And the last step, you just say, God, thanks for hearing me. And go about your day. So if you think this is going to do, one, it's going to remind you of these people on a daily basis. It's going to actually cultivate affection in you. Two, it's inviting God into the process. And then all I want you to do is just be open. Maybe God will do something cool. Maybe he won't. But you are bringing these people that you already care about, that you want to experience more of Jesus and saying, here you go, God. Do your thing. But it's a daily recognition that God is the one who changes hearts. God is the one who moves in the world, not us. And if you want to pray for 50 minutes, go for it. All I'm asking for is 30 to 45 seconds every single day. Now the thing is, we're going to have all kinds of things you're going to be able to invite to people to, right? We're going to have an Easter egg hunt the day before Easter, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to have a bounce house. We're going to have all kinds of things at Caledonia Park. And we're going, to, we're going to invite all of you guys to invite people you know. Maybe some of your five will show up. We're going to have an Easter celebration that maybe some people you know will want to come to. We're going to have baptisms. If you haven't gotten baptized and you want to, Please tell me, sign up. We're going to do baptisms and we're going to meet with folks that want to get baptized through the period of Lent. Historically, this is when all baptisms happened in the early church. There would be sort of a process where you would meet with people who wanted to get baptized, right? And then you would do baptisms on Easter Sunday. We're also going to do something really different. The week after Easter, we're actually going to have a Sunday morning that is dedicated to uh, stewardship of the ocean and Monterey Bay. We're going to create a space because I think in this context, there's a lot of people who care about the bay and about the ocean. I think this is true from youth to retirees that are volunteering at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. And we have two in-house experts Tom Dempsey is in charge of the oceans divisions for the Nature Conservancy. Uh, he knows all about the ocean, right? Kyle Van Houten is the lead scientist of the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Both of them are going to be up here, and we're going to talk about a little bit about God and a lot about the ocean in Monterey Bay. And then we're going to probably have just a hangout cool space down on Lover's Point to enjoy the ocean, to enjoy the bay. That's something you can invite people to, right? If God so nudges. There's all kinds of things that are coming down the pipe. What I am inviting you to do is to fast a little bit to draw near to Jesus and to pray for five people you already care about. Now, if you're a family and you want to do some stuff with kids, uh, we have these uh, cool little Lenten packets. 
And what we have is we have a verse for every single day. So you can like cut it out and read it with your kids. And then we have a little hand where you can do pray for five and they can write their friend's name or whoever they want to pray for on it. This is sort of the invitation as we go into Lent. With that, I want to invite the worship team back up. And I just want to invite you as we enter into worship to talk with God a little bit about what it might look like for you to fast in this season. Who were some people that you could pray for? And my hope is that it's not just like three to five people, but all of us coming together so that none of us has to do it alone. If all of us do a little bit on the prayer side and on the fasting side, I think we will experience some pretty cool stuff. Let me pray for us as we enter into worship. Jesus, we just invite your presence into this place. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be here to move and to speak to us. God, many of us come into this room feeling like hard soil. And even though your word is being tossed out this morning, your word, you are trying to sow it into our lives. Our hearts are hard. Hearts are hard. And we pray, God, for your softening. We're tempted to dismiss. We're tempted to say, I don't need this. But Jesus, you know what we need. Speak to us. God, some of us, some of our lives are just strangled by the busyness and the distraction and the interruptions of modern life. God, we pray that you would be the great pruner that would come in and set us free. Because God, we want to be good soil. God, I know every person in this room has a longing deep down. They want to be good soil. God, we all do. God, be the one who churns the soil of our hearts and our lives. God, that your harvest may burst forth. That your transformative power might erupt in our beings. Come Holy Spirit. Come Lord Jesus. Move among us that you might be glorified.